0: Good seeing all of you here this morning. It's an exciting day in the life of our church. We begin a a study through the the Bible chronologically. Uh, We're excited uh, about that and hope you will um, study with us, read with us as we walk through uh, together. Um, Our aim this year is to uh, read through the Word, uh, but not only read through the Word, uh, but preach through the Word... And then also discuss through the word in our small groups, uh, so that we'll have all those different uh, outlets in our life, uh, being able to uh, allow God to put the Word of God deep into our hearts. Now this, this is a big seems like a big task um, to read uh, all of the Bible in a year. maybe seems daunting to you um, And it may seem even more daunting how we're going to cover 66 books in 52 weeks from the pulpit. I mean, you thought I was long-winded before. You have no idea, right? (laughs) So we've got to consider how we're going to do this and and what's the best way to to go about this. And uh, so um, what we hope to do is to get four views of the Bible this year. Four different views that uh, all go together, that um, uh, correlate together, that work in step with one another. The first view is a view from above. This is the view that we're going to get on Sunday mornings like a jetliner cruising at 30,000 feet. Uh, You can see very little detail at 30,000 feet when you're in an airline cruiser at that height. But you do get an idea, you can see oceans and uh, grass, have you ever noticed, looks like rectangles. Uh, you can get a big picture view from 30,000 feet. So on Sunday mornings, what we're going to try to do is, is get an overview of the, the whole Scripture and as we read, uh, see things from a perspective from above. Uh, so that when we come here on Sunday mornings, uh, we're going to do different series, breaking up the Scripture into specific series. The first one we're doing starts next week. We're calling it the Fall, the Flood, and the Fathers. So we'll walk through that, and then we'll walk through each individual section of Scripture and in individual series together to make it a little more palatable for us. Now, the reason why we're... Doing it this way is so that we can get an idea of the whole counsel of God. Because I don't know about you, but if it's left up to me, oftentimes we can, we can spend a lot of times in the Psalms and the New Testament. I mean, how many of you guys were like, Leviticus, that's my goal this year, you know? It doesn't cross a lot of people's minds. Uh, I know some of us are thinking, you know, Haggai. just really want to dive into some Haggai. You know, this doesn't come to mind... ...as readily as New Testament Psalms, things like that. So what we want to do is get an idea of, of the whole counsel of God. And so we can only do that through his, the whole Word. And so that's what we're going to be uh, doing. Now, it's, it's amazing because when you consider this... Um, ...it's phenomenal that you can take something that has 66 separate books... ...as one guy says, one of which consists of 150 separate compositions... And these come from the hands of at least 30 distinct writers scattered over a period of 1,500 years. All right? And, and the, the text itself includes histories, codes of law, ethical maxims, philosophical treatises, discourses, dramas, songs, hymns, epics, biographies. And the writers are too diverse. They... We're in the culture of Egypt, right up into the splendor of Rome under Augustus and beyond. And so how do you understand something that was written that way? And yet when you examine the scripture, you find that there's a greater wonder that beyond all this diversity is an extremely amazing unity in message and purpose and theme. That God's Word has one message, one theme, one movement throughout it. And so what we want to do on Sundays is capture that and understand that so that we see the Word of God in its unity in the midst of amazing diversity. And so this is what we want to do on Sunday mornings. We want to have this view from Above Another view that we want to have is a view from below. This is going to be you in your, in your daily reading. I will probably be covering uh, upwards of 20 chapters of the Bible a week. You can uh, dissect them down into three chapters a day. So you'll, you'll have a lot more ability to look at it. Instead of from 30,000 feet, you actually look at it under a microscope or a magnifying glass. I mean, it'll probably take you just 15 to 20 minutes just to read the text. And then from that point, you can look at it even closer on a daily basis, a view from below. We can't get as detailed here as that we would be here forever, but you can be able to get detailed into the Word and the reading on a daily basis. There's a third view, though. It's the view from within. It's not just that we want to hear the Bible preached not just that we want to read the Bible, black ink on white paper. We, just, we don't want to know, just know the Bible. We want to experience the Word of God. You know what I'm talking about? Like to where it's not just something that we read, but it's something that, that creeps and seeps and becomes the passion of our lives. And so in our small groups, we're going to discuss through the Word, where you can sit with other believers and dialogue with them, you hearing from them, them hearing for you as we walk through the Word together and work these things out in biblical Christian community as a church body together, the view from within. So the, the Word's not just black ink on white paper, but it takes root in our lives. Luther, Martin Luther said this about the Bible. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. And that's what we want to experience. Experience the Bible and laying hold of us, running after us. It's alive. The Bible says in Hebrews that the word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. View from above, below, within. There's also a view that we want to get of the word, and it's the view. From without. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you heard John Fulks uh, speak about the Great Commission and how God's called us to make disciples of all peoples and to teach them everything that He has commanded them. He says there's two types of people here this morning there's receivers and there's reproducers. Remember that? Receivers or reproducers. There's those that are going to receive. What they read on a daily basis, they're going to receive the the message on Sunday, they're going to receive in their small group, but it never gets beyond them. That's one group. And then there are those that when they read and when they hear and when they listen and when they discuss, they're going to then take what they have been poured into them in sermons and in daily time with the Lord in small group, and they're going to take that to their workplace and to their neighbors and to their families and to the ends of the earth. So where we actually, as we're becoming disciples, we then make disciples. You with with me on that? So God doesn't just want this to end with us or be something that's all about us, but actually the, the Bible is actually our springboard for doing his mission in the world. A view from without. And so when you come to the worship service, when you come to the Word, when you come to your small group, don't just receive for yourself, but think about, God, how can you use this in the lives of those around me, reproduce making disciples. Now, I want to show you a little bit about why we are doing this, because you may say, what, you know, I have a Bible, I can read it, you know, what's the purpose for, for this, why this way? Um, Some of you know we were in Uganda last summer uh, and sat down with some missionaries who who talked about uh, um, using the Bible as their method of evangelism and discipleship. That's a novel idea, isn't it? (laughs) That as a church, you would see the Word of God as the central figure of use for discipleship. And these guys were, were talking about this, and it struck a chord in me that as we do small groups. We, we do a lot of book studies. We read good books, which are really good for us. As one, one person pointed out from the early service this morning between services, he says it's also the most reproducible in, in countries where it's very difficult to get resources and books and things. He says the Bible is the most practical resource to use for making disciples. It's not only the most practical, it's the most effective and God ordained way to make disciples. And so we became concerned. I met with Mickey, talked with him about God placing on our heart this desire to just get in the Word and let the Word just transform and mold our lives. And he had a similar thoughts on his heart that the Lord had been giving him. And so as we began to think about it, this is the way the Lord began fleshing these things out for us. That, you know, we may know what David Platt has to say, but do we know what the Apostle John has to say, or the Holy Spirit through Apostle John. We, we know what maybe Francis Chan has to say in Crazy Love, and we, we love that, but do we know what the book of Habakkuk is about? Do we, do we understand how it fits into God's redemptive plan and message and purpose? Are you with me on that? And so that's one of the things that we, were, we begin to be burdened about, that we We do not know the Word like God would have us to know the Word. And this was kind of confirmed a couple weeks ago. Well, actually last week, last Monday, we were meeting with our family for Christmas, the day after Christmas. And we do a thing every year when we gather together before the chaos starts with paper flying everywhere. It was really awkward when I got into Jessica's family because my family does a free-for-all where everybody gets presents and just goes at it. And her family, each person individually, opens it one at a time. So you can imagine how awkward I felt with these gifts, everybody watching me open these things. Our family just goes at it. But before we do that, we read, we read the, the, the scripture, the, the Christmas story. My grandfather read the Christmas story for the 63rd year in a row. That's a legacy, isn't it? No pressure. 63 straight years reading the Christmas story. What a godly family. And then we sat around and told each other what we were most thankful for this past year. What was our most, uh, our biggest blessing of the year? And as we went around and and told about those things, it was neat to hear everybody how blessed we have been by the Lord. And my cousin and and his uh, and her husband were, were talking. They were not able to be with us, so they were on speakerphone. And they shared. That their greatest blessing was the fact that last year, around this time, they had committed to be in the Word together every morning to get up a little earlier. They have two girls, so that they could spend intentional time with the Lord individually together, uh, walking through His Word. And as they did that, they said, You know, we didn't realize the year that we were going to have, and they've had some difficult circumstances. Some things that were unexpected, some, some things that were kind of tragic and very harmful in their life, very hurtful. And they said the greatest blessing to us this year is that all that we've endured, that we've had the Word of God every day with us as we've walked through this. Oh, wow, what an amazing testimony to how important God's Word is for us. Just when we think we can do life alone... We can't. We need Him. We need His Word in our lives day after day after day. John uh, J.I. Packer, in his preference to his book, Knowing God, said this, Ignorance of God, ignorance of both His ways and the practice of communion with Him lie at the root of the church's weakness today. Ignorance of God, ignorance of both His ways And the practice of communion with Him lie at the root of the church's weakness today. God's Word reveals His heart and His purpose and His character. And if we don't know it, then we cannot know Him. And if we don't know Him, we definitely won't be able to know anything about us and who we are and who we should be and the condition that we find ourselves in. And therefore, if we don't know Him and we don't know us, we cannot expect to have the lives that He wants us to have. And so this is why we, we must, must be in the Word of God and allow it to shape us. And I hope that this study is not something where we look back and go, remember that time we read through the Bible in 2012? I hope what this is is a springboard for us that creates a lifelong walk through Scripture and love of the Word of God and transforming effect of the Word on our lives every day. I was reading a quote this week by Theodore Roosevelt who said that uh, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is better than any education anywhere. Amen. Yes. I thought, what a statement to make. <laughs> Better than any education anywhere is a thorough knowledge of, of the Word. You look at the book of Nehemiah, you see that they finished building the wall in chapter 7, and yet there's 13 chapters. You ask yourself, what in the world are they doing? They built the wall, it's over, it's completed. And yet they rediscover the Word of God that had been hidden and lost because they were in exile. They hadn't known who God wanted them to be or what they were supposed to be about. And so they find it and they read it and they are broken hearted by who they've become. See, they didn't get brought into exile and conquered by foreign enemies because of a lack of military strength. They were conquered by their enemies and taken into exile because of their disobedience to God. Because their lack of knowing him and his word and his ways to know the people that he wanted them to be. So this morning, this year, I hope that this will be a springboard for us to value the Word of God so that we start adjusting our lives to it rather than adjusting it to our lives. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal who God is, how God redeems His purpose, His people for His kingdom. All right. so this morning what I want to do, there's no way to do a whole overview of things and really give an adequate view, but I want to just whet our appetite so that you can go into this year and and read and be maybe better equipped to start reading today than you were yesterday. And as you read the Word, it becomes a lifelong uh, practice for us. In the Old Testament, we see that the uh, Old Testament is made up of the books of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the twelve ...books after that are the history of Israel from uh, after the the patriarchs to the exile 400 years before Jesus. So in those first 17 books of the Bible, you've got creation to 400 years before Christ and history right there. And then you've got the next five books which are kind of personal stories and accounts with the Psalms and Job... And other books that deal with the personal experience of God's people within that. And then you've got the prophets, minor and major prophets, that are like God's commentary on the history with his people there. And so that's the layout of the Old Testament and the the history there that awaits us. When it comes to the Bible, most of the time when we think about the Bible, churchgoers today think about the New Testament. Remember when I was in college, I had a guy I went to college with and he said, you know, I'm really not much of an Old Testament type of guy. And I didn't say anything then, but I was thinking in my mind, well, you know what, that's really sad because Jesus was an Old Testament kind of guy. I mean, think about it. Jesus did not have the New Testament. It had not been written yet. And it was written about him. And so what Bible did he use? the old testament yeah i mean that's he used the old testament this this is what he used this is what they had at the synagogues and, the, and this is what he knew and he knew his bible he knew his old testament we often often forget that we forget that the apostles studied the old testament this was their bible that they had the Old Testament is referenced in every New Testament books multiple times, except maybe with the exception of Second and Third John. It's referenced all over there. If we don't know the Old Testament, it is very likely that we do not know Jesus as we should. We cannot know Jesus as we should. None of us would, would go to the red box tonight, put your dollar in, now, actually, even Redbox is going up. You get your movie, and you go to right in the middle of it, and you say, let's just start from here. Save us a lot of time, only be about an hour. It's not the way we watch movies, is it? You go up here to the cinema, and you, you pay, what is it, $13 now? I don't know, it's ridiculous. You say, let's just go halfway in the movie, we'll pay $13, but only get half of the movie. This, this is what we do with the Bible, though. We st- stay in the New Testament. We camp out in the Gospels, and that's not a bad thing to read the Gospels or read the New Testament, but we miss everything that there is to see in the Old Testament. I want to read you a passage in Luke chapter 24. Jesus has just been resurrected. He suffered, gave his life in Jerusalem. He's been resurrected. And he's walking to Emmaus with these two guys. And wouldn't you love to be one of these two fellas? Walking with the resurrected Jesus. How would you like it if Jesus showed up to your small group? This is what they have here. Two guys walking on the road to Emmaus. And here Jesus is with them. And they're, they're, they're very discouraged about everything that's happened. And, and they, Jesus says, what do you mean? What's happened? You don't know about Jesus of Nazareth who came and he believed him to be the Messiah and and he's died. And and we don't know what we're going to do about this. Jesus tells them in verse 25 of Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And listen to this. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I mean, wouldn't you love to bend been in on that? Jesus starts with the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Old Testament, and talks about himself. And then he goes to the, the prophets and he, and he points to himself and, and what he would have to do to accomplish what God sent him to do, and then, and then he goes through all the scripture and points out, wouldn't you love to have been there? After, afterwards, they, when they finally discover who he is and he's gone, they say, did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scripture to us? And the crazy thing is, this is not Romans that Jesus is telling these guys about. This is Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, This is the Old Testament that he takes, and what we see is him pointing out over and over again is that the Bible is about him. From cover to cover, it's about him. I don't know about you when you read your Bible, but do you ever look for yourself in the Bible? I know we do this. And you you look for yourself, and you know who normally you are? You're the hero. Have you noticed that? We read the Good Samaritan, and guess who we are? We're the Samaritan. Right? Are we Samaritan? When we read the Bible, we we see ourselves. We're so eager to see ourselves when first and foremost, when we read the Scripture, we should look for Him. Look for Him because it's about Him. Cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, it is about Him. Are you with me? So as we read together, we see that the Bible is about him. The Old Testament doesn't point to Christ. If it doesn't point to Christ, then it cannot point to the Christian. So our basis for it speaking to us is that it's about him. Jesus said in John 5, 46, If you believe Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. In John chapter 8, Jesus said that Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. He said, Before Abraham was, I am. book is about him. Romans 15 4 talks about that the things that were written beforehand were written for our instruction. It's about him. Oftentimes we, we do neglect the Old Testament not because it's not, it's very long, it's unfamiliar, it's hard to understand. It was written a couple thousand years ago and I like what Mark Dever says about it. He says, for some Christians, the New Testament can feel like the densely populated states on America's East Coast. The New Testament books are generally smaller, more traveled, more familiar. The books of the Old Testament, on the other hand, can feel like the unknown and storied lands of the American West, probably felt to the 19th century pioneers. The great open plains of patriarchal history, the impenetrable rockies of Levitical law, And the thick forests and deep canyons of prophets frighten off many would-be travelers. Everyone knows the favorite story or two brought back by the brave souls who ventured in the unknown. But many Christians are content to spend their quiet time among the more well-known, seemingly habitable landscapes of the gospel or the epistles. The books of the Old Testament are large. We don't know them very well. They require us to know all sorts of history that we've either forgotten or never learned. And all those unpronounceable names. The whole idea of journeying into the Old Testament begins to sound overwhelming, time-consuming, unprofitable, and maybe even dangerous. <laughs> for reasons like these, most of us abandon the Old Testament for the new. Let the scholars, archaeologists, the prophecy hounds, and the children's Sunday school teachers deal with it. Yet by abandoning these books, we abandon the revelation of God. More than that, we hinder our ability to understand the New Testament's revelation about Jesus Christ. If Christ is the key to human history, the Old Testament carefully describes the lock. If Christ is the climax of the story, the Old Testament sets the stage and begins the plot. Do you read just the endings of books? If the New Testament presents God's promises kept, the Old Testament tells us about God's promises made. In other words, if you don't get the Old Testament, what the Old Testament teaches, you never get Christ. Our God does not waste words. Each testament needs the other. You will be best be able to comprehend Christ's cross if you first understand the question left unanswered by the Old Testament. The cross is the answer. How well do we know the question? So for us, I want to encourage you to read the Old Testament. Read the, the Bible. Read it not like stories, although they are stories, but they're events that actually happened in history in a point in time. Uh, Beth Moore used to say about something about the Old Testament New Testament I really enjoy. She used to say, every New Testament principle has an Old Testament example. I think for us that helps. Maybe sometimes we have a lot of issues with application is because we don't know our Old Testament. Every New Testament principle has an Old Testament picture or example. And so I want us to encourage this. As we we start off, we're going to be in the Old Testament for a while. Hang in there. See the big picture. Keep reading. The more you read... The more you understand, the more you understand, the more you will read. Just keep reading. Now the New Testament. the New Testament includes four Gospels, one book about the church continuing Christ's work in the world, and the, another are 22 letters written to God's people about all that the coming of Christ meant for them. New Testament's a culmination of the old, everything in the Old Testament promises the New Testament delivers. We know these things. Christ is the culmination of these things. He's the new Adam, the righteous one, greater than Abraham, Moses, and David. The New Testament also answers for us, where should we put our hope? If you imagine the time between the two testaments as 400 years of silence, seeming silence from God. People in great need of hope, and we are still in that great need of hope today. A lot of people talk about the, the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. Are you familiar with this? People see two gods. They see a God in the Old Testament who's mean and angry and wrathful and kills people with armies and plagues and all sorts of different things. And then they come to the New Testament and they see a God of love and acceptance and we like that God a lot better than the God of the Old Testament. But I hope that we will be able to see through this study and through our reading, that God is the same God from beginning to end. Think about this. Think about how merciful God is. Three chapters into the Bible, we've blown it. God says you can eat anything in the garden, don't eat that. And that's the one thing. They rebel against God. Three chapters in, God could have wiped them out and said, I'm done with this, no more, and been completely justified. And yet in his mercy and grace, he does not do this. Tell me that's not a merciful, loving God there. And then just three chapters later, the world has become so perverse and wicked that God destroys everyone except one man's family. I mean, everyone. And then at the end of that, God says, I will no longer ever again destroy the human race like that. I will not do that again. Now tell me that's not mercy and grace. And then throughout the whole Old Testament history, we see God's people walking in his commandments and we see God's people not walking in his commandments. You want to see something absolutely nauseating? Read Kings and Chronicles and see all about the kings that were serving him and then not serving him and doing wicked things and doing righteous things. And over and over and over, they rebel against God over and over and over and over. And God continually has mercy and grace and extends it to them. God is a God of love and justice, of holiness and mercy. See the God in the New Testament described as a God of love and yet we know that the Bible says that every one of us will give an account of himself to God. John chapter 3, the same passage that says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son says that those that don't believe in him are already condemned. God is a God of absolute Holiness. And yet God is a God of absolute, unprecedented love. God is holy and unable to comprehend and yet makes himself known to his people in the Old Testament through the temple and the tabernacle. God literally dwells with his people. God is completely above us and yet he stoops down to dwell with us. We see in the New Testament in his son taking on flesh and dwelling among us. God is a complete mystery and yet wants us to know Him and He wants to know us and has made it possible through Christ. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we want to see, Old and New Testament, He is the same God. And so this morning, how should we approach the Word of God as we begin to read it? Um, If you didn't receive a bookmark when you came in, I want to ask. Get a couple of people to help out. Seth, thank you. Sarah, thank you very much. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. If you didn't get one when you came in, I want everybody to have one of these to put in your Bible, whether your chronological Bible or your regular Bible, whichever one you use. And I'm going to give you some real deep truth here about maybe how to how are we then to approach the Word, okay? Are you ready? Read it. That's deep, isn't it? Just read it. I mean, really read it. I know that's very old school. We don't read anything anywhere. I mean, read it. Read the Word. Read your Bible. It's the most sold book in the world and maybe one of the least read for the amount of sold. Oversold, underread. Read it. All right, not only read it, but meditate on it. Every day as you read, you're going to come across some things, and the Lord is going to not audibly speak to you, but through His Holy Spirit, He's going to speak to your heart, going to impress things upon your heart. When He does that, camp out there. Spend some time there. It's going to take you 15 minutes to read the text. That's great. When He speaks to you, stop. Listen, meditate. There's a friend who used to disciple me who said, It's better to marinate in one verse than to be sprinkled throughout a chapter. Marinate in it. Soak it up. Meditate. All right? As the Lord points these passages and these verses out to you, not only read it, meditate on it, memorize it. As you come across these things, they stand up to you, God speaks to your heart. Memorize it. Memorize a verse. A week that stands out. A verse a day that stands out. Just just memorize the word. Read it to know God, not to check off a box. Don't just say, okay, I did my reading today. Read it to know Him, to spend time with Him, to get to know Him. And as you're reading, use these questions on this bookmark. Put this in your Bible. Keep it with you. And as you read, ask yourself these things. Is there a promise to claim? Then claim it. Is there a sin to confess? Confess it. Repent of it. Is there something to thank or praise God for? Thank or praise Him. Is there a command to obey? Ask for the grace to obey it. Ask yourself, what does it say? Why is it here? And then most importantly, how can I adjust my life to it? I think if we'll ask ourselves these things, if we'll read the word, meditate on the word, pray, memorize it, God will do unbelievable things in our hearts and our lives. We will be more the bride that he died for us to be. Some of you this morning may say, you know what, I've been reading the Bible, I've read the Bible, I've done some of the reading, but I never feel like ever that I hear anything from the Lord. Or all I do is I come to it I'm frustrated and I don't sense the Holy Spirit guiding me into all truth like the Bible says. could be this morning that that's an indication that you do not have a relationship with Him. It's very difficult to adequately hear from God if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, guiding you into all truth as you read. And So for some of us this morning, what better day of the year to give our lives to Christ than today? Say, God, I want to give you everything. I want to surrender my life to you. There are some of you here this morning that have been coming here for a while. And throughout the course of coming here, you you've realized that some point along the way you have trusted Christ, what he did on the cross. You've given your life to him, but you haven't known it until maybe just now. You were trusting or in a prayer that you prayed as a kid, but there was really no relationship and but you know that you've come to Christ in the last few months or the last few years and We want to know about that. Whatever God is impressing upon your heart this morning, would you respond to him? Don't let finances be a reason you can't get a Bible today. We're not asking you to pay for this. Just get one. It's perfectly okay. You respond to the Lord as he leads. Let's pray together. Lord, we are. we're really grateful for um, the opportunity, God, we have to have your written revelation to us that we can hold in our hands. And God, we want to confess this morning that we have neglected this word. God, we have owned it and possessed it for years and have known very little about it. And therefore, God, we know very little about you. God, we pray that this morning would be a springboard for us this year be a springboard for us to be people of the word so that we could be people of God. God, that we might see Christ more fully, know him more accurately, and God, experience you daily in our lives. God, this is is our hope. God, we, we need you every day God I pray for those this morning who are here that do not know you God that they would come to Christ today come to know him for the first time God we thank you so much for all that we have in him we pray that you would mold and shape us more into his image pray this in his name